Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Catholic Connect Podcast. I'm so glad that you tracked us down. I hope you're having a blessed day wherever you may be in the Universal Church. Well, the one and only David L. Gray joins us today on this episode. One of my favorite voices in the church. What a great guy David is, and he's got so many great insights to share with us and a great channel as well that you can find on YouTube and Rumble and so much good content there from David. So looking forward to sharing this conversation with you. Let's first go to the Catechism of the Catholic Church and talking about grace. It seems that that's been kind of a common theme throughout a lot of the recent episodes that we've had and a good reminder for all of us to make sure that we have sacramentals, the sacramentals with a small s, of course, to prepare us to receive grace, especially through the sacraments. So here's what the Catechism of the Catholic Church has to say about cooperating with the will of God. It's from paragraph 2002. God's free initiative demands man's free response. For God has created man in his image by conferring on him, along with freedom, the power to know him and love him. The soul only enters freely into the communion of love. God immediately touches and directly moves the heart of man. He has placed in man a longing for truth and goodness that only he can satisfy. The promises of eternal life respond beyond all hope, to this desire. You know, I was thinking about that one sentence there where it says, the soul only enters freely into the communion of love. And I thought, you know, God is such a gentleman. He gives us that choice. He doesn't force anything upon us. He doesn't force his love upon us. He asks us to make that choice for ourselves. And it's not always easy. Sometimes it is difficult for us to make those choices on an everyday basis to have that free response to God and to his will and to to grow in holiness for ourselves, saying yes to God through prayer and through service, and then packaging that all up at the end of the day and doing an examination of conscience. So I think it's so important that we do that right before we go to sleep, to go through the day, to see what we did, but also the things that we omitted, right? The sins of omission, and really recognizing all the opportunities that God has given us, the, the opportunities, the grace to be a witness to others, but also to grow in our own holiness and our own faith walk. You know, someone once said to not pray to God for the opportunities to be of service to him in the church, but to pray for the graces to recognize all the opportunities throughout the day that you could be of service to God in the church. And I think about that all the time. I look back at at the day that I've just had, and I was like, oh, I can't believe I missed so many opportunities to do what God wanted me to do. So Lord, help me to make sure I can recognize at least a few more of those every day so that I can grow in holiness and I can grow and be that beacon of light to other people that we need to be in this world. And if we can be faithful in the smaller tasks that God gives us, we will also be more prepared to take on the larger tasks that God has for us. So let's take that to the bank and let's make sure that we're living life in a state of grace. So happy to share this conversation coming up with David L. Gray. You can find his stuff uh, everywhere. He's on YouTube, Rumble. So much great content, a lot of great insights, a lot of great laughs as well. That's another great thing about David. As serious as he is about the faith, you can have a chuckle as well and uh, have some humor. And uh, what can you do sometimes? You know, in this world, sometimes you you look out there and if you're not laughing, you're crying. So uh, it's good to have that balance and David L. Gray provides that. So without further ado, here is David L. Gray. We'll see you on the other side of the interview, my friends. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. David L. Gray is a theologian, author, podcaster, and president and publisher of St. Dominic's Media. And he manages to do all this while still being a husband and a father. So we're so glad to have him come by again here to uh, well join his friends up in Canada. So welcome to David L. Gray, back to the Catholic Canuck podcast. David, it's a pleasure to be back. I'm really excited. Thanks for having me again. So you're in Germany now. Now, see, I thought you were going there to start the European chapter of the Cleveland Browns fan club originally, but that's not quite the case. But as we record this, I see you got the, the Browns uh, helmet in the background, so... There's still uh, that uh, loyalty to that team, just like I have, I guess, towards the Edmonton Oilers. One day, Dave, you're going to have to come visit. We'll take you out, and you can come watch Connor McDavid play hockey. That's that's a lot of fun for uh, anybody, even if you're a casual hockey fan. But how's life in Germany treating you right now? I really like it here. It's Right now, it is about 80 degrees has been that way for a couple of weeks, right? And the thing about Germany is, I don't know is that if, if it's that that way where you where you live at but they don't have air conditioning do you guys have air conditioning 
We do. Yeah. You, you do. You know, it's kind of funny because I was just telling you offline that uh, there's a community that's just west of Edmonton that snowed here in June. But yes, we do get have air conditioning. It okay, gets, okay. Okay. It's hot. I guess you said 80 degrees. That's about, yeah, probably between 25 and 30 degrees Celsius. For us Canadians, that's a, that's a, a, a warm day for sure, a hot day. Yeah. So getting used to just using fans and um, it's going to get hotter here. So it's, it's going to be interesting side of goes. But um, other than that, yes. Yeah, um, the schnitzel, you know, the, um, the the German beer, the the Dornsfelder, they they have some things yeah. over here that I'm I'm enjoying. So that that I don't know if I'll miss, but I'm definitely enjoying them for now. Did you managed to get yourself a Stein, or the Steins they call. Them? Oh yeah, yeah, we have yeah, we, yeah, we have nice. a lot of those. My wife used to live here many years ago. She was here for like five years. Oh, okay. so this is her return, so she brought her Steins with her again, and um, she's collecting more. <laughs> well, that's kind of nice. You, you get to know the lay of the land a little bit better too. If you have someone, if your wife's yeah. already been there, so you can take her on. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, on the topic of Catholicism and Germany, I mean, it's like you got dropped into the the ghetto there of the Catholic yeah. Church in the world, right? Yeah. Uh, what's it like uh, being a Catholic in Germany nowadays? It's interesting, David, because you know, I was hearing things about how heretical it's become over here, right? And all the bad German bishops and the cardinals um, and the things that they're homosexualizing the church and the liturgy is horrible. It, just all the things that they're doing, you know, gay marriages and all these things that is just destroying the faith over here. So what I found out when I came here is that Catholicism is very local. Okay. That, that it was whatever's going on in their synod of bishops that it doesn't seem to really translate down to just the independent German people. And they are very independent, have an independent spirit. Um, that's gotten the world into a lot of trouble historically. But <laughs> but at least when it comes to this, like the church in my town where I live in, in Bonn, it's known in the area as being a black Catholic church. And what they mean by that, you may be familiar with this. I wasn't. But over here, they, they give their political parties color. Um, so you have the blacks, the browns, the reds, you know, and so black is if if um, black is associated with very conservative. Right. So the church here is very conservative on the Feast of Corpus Christi on a Thursday. What a couple of weeks ago, oh, man, I'm, I'm here in my office and all of a sudden I just hear this loud noise outside. And this is just this huge parade of kids and families just marching through the town. And so it's been so I, I've so it's been it's been interesting to learn how local the the faith is here. People don't move from town to town either. If you live here in Bonn, this is where you go to church. This is your church. You don't go over next door to Quitersbach. You don't go to mass there. You go to mass here. So, so, um, so I, I actually have not had the experience to go to mass in any uh, German churches because we do have. A Catholic community on the military bases. We have a few military bases here, and we have Catholic communities on them. And I've been the parish coordinator of one of them since September, so I have to be at the masses on base because I have to make sure everything goes well. But um, eventually, maybe I'll get to experience uh, mass in one of the German towns, German churches. Well, and and it, as it should be when it comes to to parish life. I mean, you know, if that's you. You live in a town or a certain area of the city that's where you should be going to right to just to make sure that you're uh, there for the needs of your parish and your local community as well yeah. but it just doesn't yeah. seem like that happens as much anymore at least in north america but i'm glad you're saying that that the the faith there is faith alive in germany because you always hear the the very worst in the media yeah. Yeah. even our catholic media right and, <laughs> uh, but i'm sure that uh, there's there's a lot of faithful there there was an interesting infographic uh, i saw well, it's probably several months ago now but they had um, the the border of West and East Germany, and they had um, kind of a, yeah how the the graphic worked was those who had faith in Christ, so Christianity, mm. and those who didn't have faith. And the West German side had like pockets of light. It was actually interesting how they they portrayed it with light and darkness. Yeah. But the East German side was black. It was just dark, oh, and there was like really? a no. Yeah, there's no lights or anything like that. And basically the point of what the author was trying to say was that communism really uh, achieved what it was planning to do uh, is even with the fall of the Berlin Wall, I see. there's still not much faith on the East German side, right? And I thought that was that was interesting. But, yeah, that is um, interesting. Yeah. 
So, well, I'm glad to hear things are going good and uh, always uh, enjoy your videos and your podcasts. Uh, they're, they're great, David. So the last couple of years has been pretty wild. We were talking uh, um, a little bit here about uh, what it's like to be at your local parish there. But the one crazy thing about COVID that it allowed us to do, well, there's a couple of, a lot of crazy things. One was that we got to see what a lot of different masses looked like mm-hmm. and a lot of different liturgies looked like because people had them on video <laughs> and were sharing them on YouTube. And I know that you got to see a lot of those. Yeah, I did. And you talked about a lot of them as well. Uh, but the sad thing about that too is that we're starting, we see that there are a lot of parishes and maybe it's your own too, unfortunately, or whoever's listening to this, but uh, that don't take the liturgy very seriously. They don't take the sacrifice of the mass very seriously. Um, generally speaking, one of the things that uh, the, that you were seeing when it came to these irre- irreverent masses, uh, you call them clown masses, and that's what a lot of them really were, right? Yes. Um, what what were your kind of general thoughts about uh, what you saw over those couple of years? And you still see a little bit today, but there's not as many of those on video, but. Uh, yeah, what were your your thoughts when you started seeing these things trickle in and then they seemed to pour in? Yeah, that's a great question, David. Um, so what, what were the, the common characteristics that we were seeing with these mass nightmares? Well, the, the common theme, I would say, is that the, the chief celebrant, the priest celebrant of the mass, he seemed to be more interested in, in celebrating himself than the liturgy. He seemed to be taking opportunities to just deviate where the priest cannot deviate. So, um, sacrosanctum concilium, uh, constitution, uh, a, doc, a, a document from Vatican Second Vatican Council on a liturgy, it says in there specifically that no one, not even a priest, can add to or take away from the liturgy. And so, this is what the church teaches. Yet in mass after mass, this is what we saw, David, that where the priest was supposed to re- just repeat the black or and do the red, he just wanted to interject himself. And the question was, well, why? Why did he take it upon himself to amend and modify the liturgy? Why did he think what he had to say was more important than what the church gave him to say? Why, why did he think it was more important for, for him to do what he wanted to do rather than what the church called him to do? And so I, th- I think our priest, many of our priests, is what we saw. Many of our, many people in our in, in, in the in, in the clergy in that state of life are suffering and, and struggling. One, I think perhaps maybe the Norris Order itself, maybe it, in a way, it fosters this sort of self-aggrandizement, this hubris, and maybe. Because with the priest facing the people versus popular, maybe just over time, the priest maybe just feels like he has to entertain, has to be the center of the mass rather than having Christ be the center of the mass. So maybe there's something like that going on. But also, um, maybe there's something going on with the relationship between the priest and his bishop. Why don't bishops have priests maybe get certified every few years in the liturgy or or maybe um, inspect their liturgies. Why are priests just allowed to be out on their own and not have, not be in union with his bishop? So there's a lot of things we can say, um, but I think that was really the most consistent thing that priests were just creating their own liturgies without any license, without any rights. And by doing so, they were abusing the people who deserves the liturgy of the church deserves true worship. And he was spiritually harming them by not offering it. And if we want to be Eucharistic centered people, which we should be, it's the source and the summit of the, the Christian life is the, the Eucharist. It's so important that we, we take it seriously. And, and um, I, I hate going back to the, this last couple of years, but I, I do because I think we're still feeling the ramifications of not taking that seriously of shutting down churches, mm-hmm. of uh, restricting masses and attendance. Um, and I think maybe that's just, um, I guess, is it, is, is it a symptom of how we, we worship? Uh, that it is becoming sort of, um, you know, they, they talk about vertical and horizontal worship and, you know, bringing our, our uh, praises to, to Christ as opposed to, uh, you know, you know, just the people, right? Mm-hmm. And it seems that's kind of where we're at and, and where we were at in the 
definitely over the the time of the the virus here. Um, but it is it is disappointing to see that. And then you know now we're seeing a you know this huge decrease in attendance in church mm. and going to mass. And we've got a, a lot of work ahead for us, David, <laughs> to to bring people back, don't we? Yeah, we do. Um, I like the interest of you know bishops around the world i know the united states is taking their turn now to do this whole eucharistic revival um i know it's been i think they already had one here in germany some years ago and i know the united states is doing one now have you guys have the bishops in canada had in recent memory have they tried that not that i can recall i'm trying to think uh i, I don't think so yeah um you know the, every every bishop's kind of got uh maybe a different approach to mm-hmm. uh bringing certain things to, to focus on, I guess, but uh, no, not nothing like, uh, like we're seeing with the, the U S bishops kind of making it a national, yeah. uh, deal, which I, I mean, I think the heart of it, it's, it's a good idea, right? <laughs> but do you think that that's, uh, it's always good to, to talk about something like that or put some focus on it, but it sounds like they're spending a lot of money on it as well. Yeah. They're sort of spending a lot of money on it. A lot of money was assigned a couple of years ago when they, uh, put it forth. I think maybe I want to say $56 million or something like that. So it was a huge, amount of money but also it's also turned into so there's i think so there's nothing you lose nothing by promoting adoration of christ jesus and or teaching trying to do your best to teach that this is truly real presence of christ i don't think there's anything to lose there but i think there's some elements that have been become a distraction right one the money grab that you know whenever these eucharistic adorations and processions and this whole thing take place. It seems I'm hearing from a lot of people, oh, you know, donations, you know, the plate is always being passed around. Um, it just seems to be there's a there's a focus on the bishops sort of recouping their money somehow, right? So I'm, I'm hearing about a lot of that. I don't know if that's universal throughout, throughout, you know, the United States, but that's one thing I'm hearing. And the second thing I'm hearing is that um, there's more attention being paid to Eucharistic adoration outside of the Mass, whether it's procession or um, adoration in the church, than the Holy Eucharist itself in its petronatural place. Its petronatural place is the liturgy, is the Mass. That's where Christ comes to be in the liturgy. So that's its proper place. And so that's the true connection of it. And the liturgy itself, all of it's connected. It's not just it's not, it's not just the liturgy of the whole Eucharist. It's not just that part that we can take out and extract and move somewhere else. The Mass is a whole thing. So if we keep extracting the Holy Eucharist from is um, Him, who is a who, not a it, but if we keep extracting Christ, the Holy Eucharist, from his from His petronatural place where He comes to be for our salvation, uniquely in the Mass, then uh, that can have some consequences. One, it can sort of lead to a privatization of the faith, right? That if I can just worship Jesus Christ on my own in adoration, um, uh, you know, this sort of a little bit sounds like Protestantism in a way, just my own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I go into the adoration um, room, chapel, and I have my own little devotions and worship. Hmm. That that can become risky. And then there's um the aspect of again the processions, these this uh, this showing of Jesus Christ outside of the mass, where he uniquely wanted to come to be in the mass through the paschal sacrifice that, that is offered. And we can't diminish that. So maybe a focus for this whole Eucharistic revival should have been just teaching people more about the liturgy itself, the the Lex Arendi, Lex Carindi, Lex Vivendi, like the law of how what we be, um, believe is how we worship and is how and is how we live our faith. Maybe there should have been just more focus on that than just this demonstration of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, even adoration itself, it's uh, it's really preparing us for the grace that we need to receive to actually receive the sacraments, right? So uh, having that prayer life, uh, which is, is good, and going to adoration is fantastic. But uh, yeah, when we're in adoration, we're not receiving Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity, but it's preparing us to receive him yeah. more worthily and to live us live a, a life of, of grace, a sanctifying grace as well. Yeah. And uh, I think also that, 
we need to tie in the confession part of it as right, well because how many people right, are right. how many people are receiving uh, Jesus unworthily right. I mean that's something that we should all be discerning every time we go to mass yeah. and receive Jesus uh, even for myself too I know that uh, I can't go uh, more than a few weeks without going to confession I've got to go David it's it's on my conscience it's something that uh, that you just need to go regularly and it um, it's just a good thing to do for for basic housekeeping but you know how many of our brothers and sisters in Christ just don't go very often and there's sometimes there's a lot of issues a lot of uh, hurdles uh, sometimes those are self-inflicted or self-inflicted walls that you put up but yeah. uh, waiting a year or two before going to confession is um, uh, don't do that don't just <laughs> come come to Jesus he is mercy right and and receive the Eucharist worthily and I know that your your um, outlook on life and how you look at the world changes a lot when you're in the state of grace so mm. um how much did, did confession mean to you and, and mean to you currently, David, in, in your life? I think the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, the first time I I went, I don't think I was, so I had been baptized a Protestant. And so the priest did, before I be, received the sacrament of confirmation, the first communion, when I was converting, the priest did allow me to come make a, a good confession. And David, it, it was interesting. Uh, I, I can still remember, I don't, I remember what I confessed. Um, I probably have a guess, but I, but I do remember the satisfaction of it. And when the priest absolved me of my sins, that I truly felt like physically, like lighter. Like I get, I can like in in my senses, I can just feel like some sort of monkey jumped off my back. And so I've been in love with the confession ever since. And and I try to avail myself to it, not just for like grave sins, you know, what the church teaches, but um, the church also teaches that we should avail ourselves to it just for venial sins, because the church teaches that when we go for venial sins is that it helps form our conscience and makes us aware of those areas of our lives that need attention. And it just it just helps us along the journey. So the site. So, man, it's, it's oh, man, the sacrament of Pennsylvania reconciliation. So. I mean, we can't like diminish baptism, right? I mean, that truly makes us whole, right? Um, sacrament of uh, confirmation, which is, you know, complete baptism. Sacrament of Holy Eucharist is, is truly Christ himself. But the church teaches in the catechism on the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, it, it used the word struggle so often, it's amazing. And that is beautiful that Christ and the church recognize, of course, Christ would recognize because he came in, you know, as one of us, in one of us, that, that this life at times can be a struggle, right? And, and how beautiful it is that the church gives us a sacrament along the way, acknowledging that, yes, you're going to struggle, but yes, <laughs> we're here for you to get you back on the road. And in the Catechism Catholic Church as well, and it's like in this first chapter, it, it spends a whole lot of time talking about this thing called capacity, right? And uh, it's interesting that the church teaches that we have capacity for God. <laughs> like, what? How can the finite have capacity for the infinite? It, it, it just sounds ridiculous that God, who is completely infinite, is saying that we have capacity for God. It's like saying your refrigerator has capacity for a million beers. No, it's only going to maybe fit 100 beers, right? It doesn't have just like this infinite capacity, but we have this capacity because we were created by God for God. But man, what sin does, sin it reduces our capacity. One, because it breaks our, it harms our friendship with God. It harms our relationship with our neighbor, the ch uh, the church, and, and it harms our. Uh, it, um, it opens up that womb in our in ourselves, so we just can't love God and neighbor in, in ourselves as we're called to. But man, so even though we we our capacity has been diminished through sin, what the sacrament of penance and reconciliation is doing is just. It's making us whole again. It's giving us our capacity back. So I love going to confession and and coming out of there. And I hope I had perfect contrition when I was in there. I hope I hope it was. But even if it was just imperfect contrition, that I love when I leave, and that I just feel like, oh man, I got my capacity back. I can I can operate again. I can help my brothers and sisters again as I've been called to. And it's just it just it's good just to have that sacrament. I don't know what we would do without a David. Mm, yeah. Amen to that. And that's a good point too, that, uh, 
even if you don't have mortal sin, I hope nobody ever commits a mortal sin, mm-hmm. <laughs> but sometimes we do. So you got to go to confession for sure. But to go regularly too is uh, to, to, uh, to fortify our conscience and to fortify our spiritual lives yeah. by confessing even those small sins that, you know, that's the, that's the whole problem with venial sins is eventually they lead to mm. mortal sins, to more serious sins. Yeah. But also to remember too, that our venial sins are, um, are forgiven by receiving the Eucharist worthily as well. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, our venial sins only, of course, just to make that uh, clear to to our listeners. Um, there was a, an interesting article, and I can't remember who wrote it, but it was a, a it was a couple of weeks ago, maybe a, a few months ago. But it was ways that that we can improve in churches and uh, at, at mass uh, how we receive communion. You know, your disposition means a lot, right, David? Right. And I know for me, when I was younger, I would go up there and it would look like I didn't care. Because in my heart, I just didn't, right? It was just so automatic to me. You're a convert, so you came at it from a different um, a different path. But for me, I, I was born and raised a Catholic, and I did take the Eucharist for granted for a long time. Uh, people that come into the church like yourself, David, that, like you said, it's, it's a lot different. You know, that was probably one of the things that, that attracted you to the church and eventually brought you in. But um, what is what are some things that you'd like to see uh, that we should look at as a, as a church. And I'm not talking just like, you know, different conferences of bishops in different yeah. countries. I'm talking about like from the church, from the top, what we can adopt to, to uh, come to an appreciation of, of how good our Lord is that he comes to mm. us through the Eucharist and improving our disposition too, when we are receiving at mass. Yeah, that's, that's a huge question, David. I think it goes back to something you had mentioned earlier. You made the connection between, you know, the sacraments, the sacrament of, penance and reconciliation or confession with the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist. I, I do think uh, the church does teach in, in the catechism on a section that the priest should avail themselves as often as possible and never deny someone when, uh, when it's reasonably asked for is the sacrament of confession. So we just, we do need, and as you said earlier, it, it prepares us um, to receive Christ worthily. And it, um, so that, that, that would be the first thing just, Next time there's somewhere a Eucharistic revival, let's first have a and it's a reconciliation revival first. And and so let's foster more of that. And then the second thing, the mass itself, I think one of the most profound parts of the liturgy, which I think succinctly brings the whole thing together, I would say two things. One, before the Eucharistic prayers, there's the oldest prayer in the liturgy. Well, one of the oldest prayers. Our Father's probably oldest, but aside from that, it's the Sorsum Corda. It's when the priest says, um, St. Ambrose, I think uh, he I think he said that the priest should exclaim it, exclaim. There was a time when the priest used to yell this, that lift up your hearts. And then the people respond, we lift them up to the Lord. And so... And this is before the, the sacrifice, right? So what's going on here is that the priest is asking us to make an offering. And he says, lift up your hearts. And he's not just talking about a physical heart or, or some sort of emoji, right, David? He, he's talking about just your very being, all of yourself, just who you are, your complete essence, who God made you to be. Lift that up. Give that back to God. Offer it up. Lift up your hearts. And so we ask ourselves, well, why would we lift up our hearts? Where where else would they be? If your heart is where your your heart is where your treasure is, why wouldn't we lift it up back to God? Why would we make an offering back to Him? But I think at that point in time, we should ask ourselves that question just for a moment before we just respond to the priest in some sort of rote fashion, just saying back, eh, we lift them up. <laughs> did we? Did, did we did we lift up our hearts or is there some part of me that I'm not lifting up? Is it my finances? Is it my family? Is it my job? Is it my health condition? Did I truly lift up all of myself, make myself an offering to the Lord? Do I truly believe that? Lift your hearts up to the Lord. So there's that, the source and coda. That's a good time. That's one of the best examinations there is in the liturgy, just a good examination of, of conscience. Like, am I really there? Am I lifting up all of myself? We should take some more, we should take some time there. 
And then the second part I, I would say is just the, the the missile from the liturgy where the where the priest dismisses the concluding right at the end. We sometimes take it for granted. You know, we've seen some mass nightmares at the end, David, during the concluding right, you know, the priest. We've seen priests uh, just spend more time on announcements than he did anything else, right? There's these announcements, you know, there's some fundraiser, just some birthdays, just some weird things going on at the end of the mass. But what's going on here is that we receive Jesus Christ. Hopefully you have at the mass. And now the church is calling us to go live that faith to go be in the world who we have received through the liturgy, to be a liturgical people in the world. And what an awesome thing that, I mean, the church says that the Holy Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith, but at the same time, it wants us to leave. This seems to be a contradiction, right? If the mass is all that, if it truly is Jesus Christ, then why wouldn't I stay? But even the priest leaves the sanctuary, right? So so do we leave. We leave the Mass to go be the Acts of the Apostles. We leave the Mass to go do and to go be a type of Christ in the world. This is an amazing charge, an amazing duty that we have. And I think, like you said, if we take it seriously, if we take those two things seriously, the source and code, lifting up our hearts, and two, truly being the Acts of the Apostles in the New Covenant, the creed that we just prayed during Mass, we confessed the Mass, David said that, what do we, we say? That the Holy Spirit, who has spoken through the prophets, this is profound. So the Holy Spirit has spoke through prophets. Now this Holy Spirit dwells in us. So how much more can we do in the world with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us? The same Holy Spirit spoke through the prophets, now dwells in us, so therefore can speak through us. So this is a profound thing when a church just lets us go into the world, believing that we're equipped, believing that we our capacity is uh, filled up, that we're full of grace, that we can just do all these things in the world. Yes, come back to the mass because you, you 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 may have struggled. You um you need more. We need to feed you some more, but then go back out. This cycle of coming and going is. I think, we, as you say, we, these are two things I think we can, these two things I think are things we could take more seriously um, if we're going to be the transformative agents in the world that the church is calling us to be. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes even in our responses, you know, we're just, it can become very um, habitual, right? We just, yeah. we just say the response because we're so used to saying them. I know yeah. for myself, it's, it's like that. You just kind of say, we lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. <laughs> uh, you know, then you say, well, uh, what is it? Let us, uh, I can't remember what the priest says out there. What did he say? But he was, we respond by saying it is right and just. And yeah. All of this is right and just. It truly is but, right uh, and just. But yeah. how you apply it <laughs> yeah, to your life when you leave is something totally different, right? Yeah, it's application. Yeah. Um, so speaking of when we leave the church and and uh, and mass, uh, you know, there's this um, this crazy world that we live in, and I think that's why we need to stay so close to our our communities, our parish communities, and uh, our families, because uh, it is a, a pretty wild world out there right now, David. It really is. I wanted to ask you about children, specifically in homeschooling, because mm. we homeschool our kids in, in various ways. And I want to tie this into uh, a service that you provide, but it's through your ministry. And that's also uh, you being a theologian, is that you do some teaching as well mm -hmm. and instructing uh, people in their faith. And there are programs, too, that you have for for kids, but yeah, what do you say to maybe some Catholic parents out there? I know everybody has a different um, approach to to sending their kids to school. Sometimes you only have a public school in your area. Uh, parents have to work. It's not easy, but uh, if you do get a chance to to homeschool, there's uh, so many great blessings. And the nice thing too about about it as well, David, for for young people is that there are programs like what you're offering, but there's also ways online that they can pick up some real good spiritual fruits and, and really learn a lot about the faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love homeschoolers. And thanks for, thanks for doing that. You and your wife taking on that mission, because you know, as the church teaches, the parents are <laughs> chiefly responsible for um, educating their children. I mean, it, it, God gave you that assignment. He didn't give it to the church or to the public school or to the government. Even when it was that, that, that was your assignment and you guys are doing it. And God bless all the, the parents that are taking it on. Maybe not, full-time homeschool, but also maybe when your, your your child comes home from public school, having that moment. That's what uh, my wife and I does. We still have a, a high schooler who goes to, you know, school um, school on base. Um, 
but when she come home, comes home or um, or during the summer, one thing that we like to do is we like to take her to holy sites. Very easy here in Germany to take her to holy sites, take her on, take her on pilgrimage. Is right now she's away with a club there in Scotland. It's a Catholic, um, you know, retreat that she's on. So making sure, making sure she has these opportunities to grow in her faith and to encounter Christ Jesus is something that we think is really important. One thing I noticed here in Germany with, with parents in the military is the ones that are homeschooling. I noticed that at least once a week, sometimes twice with some families, is that they make sure that the curriculum has them come to mass, right? So they bring them to mass as part of their curriculum during the week of daily mass. And then I've been participating with them, with the boys. I think one girl as well is, um, you know, um, we have them during the week. We have them as altar servers. So especially with the boys, help them discern their call. But I just believe that altar serving, I think if you if you can serve a priest, um, I think that's great preparation, even if you don't become a priest, to help you become a husband. I just think there's something there of serving the altar that that disposes you to what it means to be a man. So, um, so I think homeschooling, you know, I used to work. I don't know if you ever heard of them. Have you ever heard of Colby Academy? They're like a homeschooling. The name, right? Yeah. They're kind of like, the name sounds familiar. They're kind of like seats and hall. They have all mm, materials, right. that type of thing. Mm -hmm. But Colby, they also have online classes. I remember I used to be a teacher of theology for their homeschool students online and I remember those kids. I remember all of them when, when I taught there. And a lot of them were kids of Catholic parents. Some of them were actors who uh, weren't, weren't able to go to public go to school at all, but their parents sent them to Kobe to get an education online. And I, I was always, you know, homeschool, Catholic homeschool kids are just, they're different in a good way. I think they're more, more serious. I think they're more well-behaved. I think they're, they're docile to the Holy Spirit. There's just something there about homeschool kids that I, I noticed that that something is working in them that is different than, than kids in other types of educational programs. Yeah, I think that the, uh, the relationship that a parent has with their children when they homeschool is, uh, um, you know, at the end of the day is enriched because it's not always smooth sailing, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know it's, that's like, you're a dad. It's not like it's a better roses here when you're dealing with kids, especially with teenagers. Right. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of ups and downs, but I think, I, I think like, I hear sometimes about the, about the tension. I mean, what is it about that? There's, I mean, what's going on? Cause I never, I never homeschool any of my children myself. So I don't know the rigor of having them sit down and do the work and, I mean, what's, I mean, what's going on there? Is it, can, is there times when it's complicated? Well, it's, you have daughters too, David. You didn't, yeah, yeah it's, yeah, I was thinking of our son. So I'm going to put him on the spot here during this podcast, but yeah, I mean, he's our teenager son. He's 15 right now. Smart boy can be a little bit difficult to get him motivated to do some of his schoolwork. You know, sometimes he'd rather think about his sports or some other things, but. Uh, is that different but, to balance from being parent and teacher? Is that hard? I think sometimes for for kids, maybe they they uh, they struggle to to uh, maybe differentiate that, you know, okay, when you're trying to motivate okay. them to do their schoolwork. It's okay. like, well, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. uh, but having said that, I mean, I think when you look at, I know what I I look at with homeschooling. My my wife is our primary teacher for us, but uh, you know, for both of us, uh. You know, I guess education is something that you do not just you know just from eight to four thirty or whatever. It's it's what you do mm. uh, throughout the week. Yeah. A great point that you made with your daughter and what we do when we go traveling, whether we're on vacation or even if we're just visiting another town or city, is we do like to go to other parishes and and visit and just you know, try to talk to the people and see what you know what's it like being a Catholic in a, another small town in Alberta. <laughs> or, you know, we went to Hawaii. We went out to several years ago and we went and saw the um, uh, some great relics of uh, help me with the Saint Damien, Saint mm -hmm. Damien, right? Oh, look out, yeah. Uh, ministering, yeah, that is ministering to the uh, to the, to the lepers yeah. in, in Hawaii. Uh, we went to see uh, Saint Junipero Serra uh, mm. down at oh. uh, Carmel by the Sea, okay, yeah. in California, a few years yeah. ago. All these different things that uh, maybe it wasn't done during the the weekday, but it's something that 
that the kids remember a lot about That's their great. their faith and and you know we can obviously mix in some ge- geography lessons with that as well but yeah i think i find that uh and and i'm sure it's it's like this for other other parents as well is that even if you send your kids to to public school there's still an education that needs to be at home particularly when it comes to the spiritual life right exactly is uh is just encouraging and uh and journeying with the kids uh meeting them where they're at but not leaving them there leading them on the journey towards christ and Mm -hmm. it's not being in neutral right david it's got to be you got to have your your foot on the pedal to some degree at all times because if you're neutral you may as well be going backwards (laughs) right so yeah and grounding them as well i think like because they especially if your kids are like in in public school or even catholic school when they get home you have to ground them back into the thing that matters for for a lot of families it's going to be the rosary having a rosary time um or maybe for some families maybe maybe a daily mass time if you have mass in the evenings or early in the mornings or especially on Sundays, but kids still have to, it could be pilgrimage and trips like we're talking about just now, but you, we have to keep bringing the kids back to the thing that matters the most. My daughter is at the age now, you know, she's going into 10th grade and David, she, she found out about boys this year. Mm. We've been, we have been sailing along for like 13 years. And, um, uh, you know, we didn't even think that, you know, this was even going to be an issue at some point in time, but, boys she went to high school and wow there's boys there <laughs> it's, uh, that's been a thing but it, it's been um you know this is my only my second daughter that's been interested in boys in high school the rest of them had they didn't even not they got into their 20s when they discovered boys right mm-hmm. um i don't think my second daughter still haven't discovered she just felt so focused on you know her career but um so this is my second daughter that's discovered boys in high school and so since I have a separate, this is so, th- which means it's my, my second time to try to get this right. And so, <laughs> so what I'm doing is just, okay. Um, that's, you know, acknowledging that yes, boys can be interested in you. You're, you're beautiful. Let me affirm that as your father. But at the same time, um, I'm also trying to ground her again. Mm-hmm. and um, devotion to the Blessed Mother Mary and to focusing on what God has called you to do. And also, yeah, just telling her that boys are liars and deceitful. Mm. Yes. <laughs> I, lo- I love the visual of you saying sailing along. I just uh, I got the the visual of uh, Captain David <laughs> driving that boat along, and then all of a sudden this iceberg shows up out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, out of nowhere. <laughs> But it's so important for our kids to to um I, I, to it's um because I'm thinking back to when I was a kid, probably just like you, you know, when you're you're a teenager and you're 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 a young adult, and boy, you just you, you want so badly to for your kids to learn from your mistakes, oh, right? Oh my gosh! <laughs> and you try to explain it to them, you know, as best way you can, and what you did. I mean, you know, as, as best yeah. you can with. Uh, at the at the age they're at and you just don't want them to follow the same things and i yeah. i know for myself too in the the spiritual life I, I said that earlier that i didn't take going to to communion very seriously actually mm. i did believe in that it was the body of christ because that's what i was i was raised mom and dad were, were great when i came to that i i knew exactly that that's what it was but my disposition didn't wouldn't uh, wouldn't tell you if you were walking next to me right but i was like oh yeah just it is what it is right um, but to make the faith your own, you just, you want to make sure that or you, as best you can, that they're not going to go through some real traumatic event, you know, mm-hmm. where they're really at the, at the, uh, the bottom of the barrel before they discover Christ. And I'm not saying that you can't find Christ there, but it's, it's not a good place to be. And I know the last time you came, the first time you came on our podcast, so what, man, we still have people talking about that. Dude. They come <laughs> up to me and say, that's why I, when are you going to bring David back on? Because you had so many great stories and observations, but that's where you were, right, David? You were at a, a real yeah. tough spot in your life, really tough, tough yeah. spot in your life, and, yeah. and Jesus came to save you, right? Yeah. But, um, yeah, the, why, why can't the cross of Christ be enough for us? That's what you said <laughs> the last podcast, and I think about that probably every day now because uh, we could probably meditate on that uh, for hours at a time. But, yeah, just giving that instruction to our kids so that, you know, they don't, they don't go down that path of sin that they can make the, the faith their own. I don't know. It's, I, I know it's probably, there's a lot of different answers, but I, they all point to the cross though. Don't they, David? 
I think they do. And, um, you know, for me, <clears throat> I guess I guess my younger daughter is a lot like me. I think she does have to learn from uh, experiencing things herself. I think that's her learning charism. You know, some people, some, some people you can, they're smart enough or they, they just had that charism where they, they look at other people and say, that's kind of like the homeless person on the street or the sick person on the street. I think you walk past them or stop and talk to that person and you do want to help them. But it's also sometimes a part of you wants to have a conversation with that person that's sick or not well, or, you know, there's something mm -hmm. they're down. You want to have a conversation and it's a self-interested conversation as well, because a part of you just wants to know, yeah, how did you get here? Because a part of you just wants to know so that you don't fall into that same situation. So it's a yin and a yang. It's, it's a true concern to help the other, to help to beat a good Samaritan. But also, hey, hey, man, how, how did you, what happened? Tell me your story. And but I wish everyone was just interested in the story that we can just learn mm -hmm. from the story. I think the older we get, the more we we're like that, we're, we appreciate the story. But man, kids do not appreciate, a lot of kids just don't appreciate the story. They want to just mm -hmm. learn on their own and hit their head. On, on the steel pipe and and figure it out for themselves. But going back to the point that we were talking about with the homeschooling, about the grounding, that if we just ground our kids, one in the mass, two devotions to the Blessed Mother, in the sacraments, and yeah, for the cross, being able to just understand what that is and what Christ did for us, and how we relate to that and what it means to carry our own cross. If we just ground them in some of these essential truths, when they do hit that moment that they can't pick themselves up, that the weight of the, they feel like the weight of the world is on them. And, you know, a lot of kids in this day and age experience that right now, our suicides or rates are so high. Mm. Depression rates are so high. So many kids on these medications and, and pills. And um, it's the world that we're living in. Um, they're they're so confused. They're 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 acting now by saying, "Oh, maybe maybe if I I just say I'm a different gender, or, or maybe yeah. I can figure it." They, man, the kids are just trying to figure the the thing out, David. They're just trying to figure it out, and they can't figure it out because we we just haven't really communicated the faith to them, right? Mm. And it, and it's so hard to figure it out if you if you don't if you don't have the tools, you're not equipped. So, but yeah, man, we just got to do our best to just ground our kids and, and the people who we talk to and as many people we can encounter when we leave the mass, just in, in some sort of way, just pray and communicate to people that, yes, this is, yes, is you. Yeah. Yeah. This is your life, but it's not about you and you don't have to do it all alone. A term called mass formation psychosis. That's a... <laughs> developed over the time of the virus uh, came mm. out and that was to do with uh, just how you know everything sort of turned out that we come from lockdowns to mandates to all that crazy stuff um i think there was a lot of truth to that Interesting. but i think that that that's um that's relevant today to a lot of things and you just brought something up when it came to when it comes to when we're recording this it's during the the month of dedicated to a uh, deadly sin yeah. Isn't that insane? <laughs> Using symbology <laughs> that uh, was the, was a covenant that God made with people, mm. with the humanity uh, in, in a way. Well, it's not in a way. It is. It is a mockery towards that promise that God made us. How we, I guess, combat that or what our, our answer in the church is the, the most sacred heart of Jesus, which is beautiful. Yeah. But how to communicate that to young people when this culture is so rampant with sin and mm. uh, but under the guise of something that's friendly like a rainbow like <laughs> uh, the words of inclusion yeah, and love uh, is love love is love wow <laughs> diversity is our strength you know like all these things you can put on a t-shirt and uh uh you know color your hair with you know like it's it's just something else um the the sacred heart of jesus is beautiful but it is a jarring image mm isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's something that you look at and then you say, this is something quite serious that we need to take serious, but where do we go from here? 
Um, you know, I, you see these images are beautiful images of Jesus with his heart exposed. But, you know, for a young person to, to look at that, it's like, boy, what does this mean for me? Um, I know for, for myself, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful and touching image that's really meant a lot. And I think it, uh, it, will, it will save the world if the world allows it to. But mm-hmm. where, what do you think of that? Like, you know, there's just so much. I think it's just our, the fast food culture. It's just what's convenient, what's kind of pretty to look at. You know, it's mm-hmm. like the, the, the cat chasing the laser of something that's attractive. Mm-hmm. But yeah. to ground ourselves back to really what it is, is, is humility, like we talk about in the church a lot. But um, how does that, uh, how, how can we, I guess, uh, convey that truth and that beauty back to children and young yeah. people. I mean, that's a Maybe great adults point, too. Maybe it's everybody, David. I don't know why I'm just picking on young people. It's everybody, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, man, that's a great point. When you when you were speaking about the easiness of the how um, sexual depravity has been normalized through just these catchphrases and innocuous images and terms, you know, love is love, diversity is our strength, and rainbows and unicorns, whatever, <laughs> you know. Man, yeah, that that's easy. But then you 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 just oppose that to the the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And I remember when I became Catholic, I remember how I truly had to contemplate that image because there was a lot going on there. <laughs> there were yeah, there was a yeah. heart, right? And it had thorns mm-hmm. around it, had fire coming out of it. You know, as, as you know, they say in Germany, "Vast is dust." You know, what is this? <laughs> um. Yeah, but it's 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 it seems to be a paradox at place too. You know, Jesus mm. says that, you know, um, take my yoke upon you. You know, my burden is light. You know, my mm. yoke is easy. At the same time, he says, carry your cross. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, you know. At one point in time, he says, you know, peace be with you. And then, you know, at, at another time. Um, you know, is if we're supposed to uh, carry his cross, well, he carried his all the way to a crucifixion, right? Mm. So, how does how can you reconcile these things? So, I think we do have to make easy what is easy, and we have to make and we have to suffer through what it what is what is difficult. But what the world wants to communicate is something different. It wants to just make everything easy and don't suffer at all. And I just don't know how we get better at communicating the other part that, yes, there's going to be suffering and that's okay. Mm. Even if you don't feel yourself, even if you don't feel that, um, just the emotional feeling that, you know, you're, you're attracted to something that the world is telling you that is unnatural, um, or, you know, at least Christians, (laughs) um, that struggle, that's okay. That's okay to struggle through and try to figure that out. It's kind of like looking at the sacred heart of Jesus. It's okay to contemplate that and reconcile some things. It's okay. Everything doesn't have to be easy and unicorns and fairy tales. So I hope that um I hope that we can touch more lives to communicate that it's okay to suffer through some things. Mm. Have you ever seen those those images online of the especially especially young people? They have these surgeries yeah. where they the so called transition. I, that's some real heartbreaking stuff, especially when they show their before pictures of how beautiful they were before. Yeah, and uh, boy, it's it's tough to see that. Um, yeah. How can we animate this world with Catholicism again? Um, that's the question I think about every day. How can anim- I animate? me myself first mm. with how beautiful this faith is then to my children and my wife my family first and foremost but also to to the rest of the world um, it seems like we're in real dire times right now it's interesting that we have the truth available to us david so readily so readily available there's so many good resources as, as bad as the internet can be <laughs> there's so much on there that we have access to that young people have access to that older guys like us have access to mm-hmm. that might be stubborn in our ways, but boy, we can surf, we can find some really good stuff there to help us yeah. in our spiritual walk. But it seems that, uh, in spite of all that, this culture and world is still heading backwards. Yeah. What can we do as Catholics to, to bring back the, uh, the animation, the color, the, the salt of the earth, the leaven and the bread, 
Um, you know, you think of these, these churches, I'm sure you've been to a few of them in Germany because they're some real old places, oh, but man, you go inside man. there and it takes you to another, a whole other world, right? Yeah. How can we bring people back into the church so that they can see that beauty again? They can start uh, going up, going up towards Christ. When you're connecting on those words, beauty and art and truth, one image just came to my mind just instantly was, you know, Montreal, uh, Quebec, and just the, you know, all the streets named after the saints. So, so many beautiful churches. I mean, the people of Montreal can't get it. Then it must be, you know, what's, 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 I think, I think what's going on though, and I think that's sort of the image throughout the world. I think it's just a competing story, a competing narrative. And this is the issue that, you know, the church had with, um, with well, with Freemasonry was that it was, it was just presenting mm. an alternative truth. It was telling a different mm. story about how to live our life. But I think this is what's going on, whether it's on social media, all the apps, uh, through the government, through um, Hollywood and um, people who put movies together, um, and just, just everything that's flooding phones and television and, and radio. I think there's an, a, a competing story that's been become so pervasive that we're having trouble as Christians breaking through with us, our story. And what I mean by that, take you, you, you and your family, David, you guys travel, right? And um, people can see you and they can encounter you. They can ask you if they wanted to, hey, tell me your story. What's, what's going on? There was a time when people did that. They had these conversations, right? They you would, um, you would sit down, you would meet people, and you would have conversations. But we're not doing that. You know, our heads are on our, our phones. Uh, we're looking down. We don't really encounter mm-hmm. one another. So antithetical to, to the scripture itself, right? God communicates stories to us. That's how He communicates through story and through yes. narrative. He also communicates mm. through us with, with food, right? It's always been about food mm. for God. He's like a foodie, right? Eat any tree to garden um, except for that one. Like, okay, it's, it's about eating from the very beginning. You're free to eat anything, right? Except for that one over there. Tree of knowledge of good and evil. Then we're in a desert. You know, he gives us manna bread from heaven. Jesus Christ himself is born in a manger. That's a feeding trough. And then he makes himself food for us. He says that his flesh and his, his body, eat it, drink it. Our eternal life. It's always about being about food for God, but I think again, it, it, it's deeper than that because I think it goes back to relationship, community, encounter, um, sitting around the table. Because there, you tell your stories, you you encounter, you meet one another. It's just a communal experience. I think we're missing, and um, the, the, uh, that's a piece that we can definitely do better at, and maybe. Um, if we focus on that communal piece of telling us the story, encountering, meeting, loving one another, just as a family, a bigger community, maybe we can break through that that haze of that that competing story that's that's out there that's telling people that God isn't real, that believe in everything but God, believe the the, the false atheism, you yourself is God, government is God, government can fix your answers, you can solve your problems, that this pill can solve your problem. This TikTok video, just upload another TikTok video, get some more likes. That will fix your problems. This competing story that is anything, everything, but the triune God. I, th- I think mm-hmm. if we if we if we focus on a communal piece, maybe that there may be something there. You think of even the towns and the cities and the streets. Um, they just uh, they just ooze Catholicism everywhere in North America and even probably in Europe as well. Oh yeah. Uh, you mentioned Montreal. Well, Saint Anne Street, uh, I believe it's called Saint Anne Street, named after the the mother of of Mary, mm. so the the grandma of Jesus. Yet is probably one of the most famous streets for debauchery now. Really in Canada, maybe in the world. Wow. Yeah. All kinds of yeah yeah just sinful things. I'm sure people can figure it out. On their own, but I also think of you know this whole debacle in Los Angeles, right? With yeah. this, uh, these these crazy um, you know these these homosexual men dressing up as nuns, and somehow an organization after political pressure, right from the very top, David, to allow these uh, these guys you can't even take them seriously, uh, but they they show up and they get honored. Uh, it's 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 like open anti-Catholicism it seems in in the world, yeah. but. 
Los Angeles is named after Lady of the Angels. They yeah. happen to be playing San Francisco Giants, named after St. <laughs> Francis. Uh, you know, California <laughs> belongs to the Catholic Church, belongs to Christendom. Yeah. And yet, no, no matter how people try to, to run away from that, even Montreal, Quebec, these are, you know, even even though hardly anybody participates in their faith, it's probably like Germany, then you find pockets of very faithful Catholics. But I'm just saying, generally speaking, um, even though people are trying to run away from the church, try to to uh, cling to secularism and uh, relativism of this age, the, the Catholic Church and and Jesus Christ just keeps pursuing them and keeps pursuing them. And I think he's <laughs> calling all of us to do the same thing, right? Yeah. I think just so. to point out that, oh, yeah, even it's just in the names of your cities and the names of your your streets, he said, I'm, I'm here. You know, mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. The, the proof that the saints have walked this earth, that have won the ultimate prize, have won the crown, right, David? They're in heaven. They won. Yeah. You know, they won going away. Yeah. Uh, and to encourage us to do the exact same. And they live so, through some pretty wild times as well. Yeah. Um, and But they're here for us to, to help us along the way. Well, David, uh, time has uh, flown as I knew it would with you. I told you I had a million things. I got to a couple of them. But um, <laughs> maybe tell our listeners where they can track you down. You've got uh, all kinds of great content and great resources through mm-hmm. Um, through uh, various different platforms. So uh, tell our listeners how they can track you down. Yeah, Dave, thanks for having me on. Of course, this is my favorite podcast um, because you ask best questions and you give the best feedback. So you are the best podcaster out there in Catholicism. So I appreciate you have me on again. God bless you. I was going to say, I'll send you $20, but $20 (laughs) Canadian, that might get you maybe a cup of coffee and euros. That might be all you're going to get out of that, dude. Maybe a a schnitzel (laughs) and a beer. Maybe half a schnitzel and... (laughs) Half a Stein. <laughs> so you're gonna have to come here and visit us in Alberta, so we can get you like some some real good beer out here. Yeah, I look know, forward to that in a hockey that. game. Yeah, I'm, do it in a hockey game. In a Absolutely. Hockey game. Yeah, but you can find me at davidlgray.info, or you just go to your your browser, your search engine, just type in David L. Gray. Got to put the L in there, and I'll come up. Well, big thanks again to David L. Gray for joining us on this episode of the Catholic Connect podcast. DavidLGray.info. That is the name of the website. Great resources there. And he's a fantastic follow on Facebook, Twitter, and also his YouTube and Rumble channel. There's all kinds of great content there. So again, a big thanks to David for joining us in this episode. One of the great saints of the church, John of God said, labor without stopping, do all the good works you can while you still have the time. And indeed, that's a timely quote and something that we can meditate on today because God has a special plan for us in our lives. And if you're living and breathing and listening to this podcast right now, God loves you in a special way. And he wants to give you the graces to open your heart and soul to receive that love and also to be that witness to other people in this world. And God said he would come back. Jesus said he would come back to die, to suffer just for one of us. He'd come back for one of us. That's how much he loves you and me. He'd come and do all of this again. He'd suffer his passion, his agony, his death. And he'd do that all again just for one of us. So that's how great his love is for each of us. And the fantastic thing about this life and living a life in a state of grace and journeying with Jesus Christ is that we can be this witness to others. So it makes it such an exciting time because we have our family and our friends and our community that really need hope in this world right now to be grounded in the foundations of the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth personified. So I'm really excited to share this journey with you as we learn to sharpen iron, sharpen our spiritual lives, and to be that great witness, the hands and feet of Jesus Christ that he's called us to be. So thanks again for listening to the Catholic Connect podcast, everyone. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and drop me a line anytime. Love hearing from you, love your feedback, or just say hi. I always like to hear from so many of you from all around the world. Here I am in Alberta, and I realize how fantastic, big, and beautiful this church is because you're out there. Whatever country you're in, whatever province in Canada, whatever state in the United States, it's a great church, and thanks for being a part of it. Thanks for being a brother and a sister in Jesus Christ. And if you're not a Catholic yet, what's stopping you from becoming a Catholic? I'm inviting you right now with joy in my heart and love in my heart. Come and join us. Come join our ranks. Take this ultimate journey to eternal life. You will not regret it. So cut the noise out. Cut the noise out from the media. Maybe it's your coworkers. Maybe it's your family, your friends. What's keeping you away from the truth of Jesus Christ and the Catholic Church? 
And hey, I've heard the naysayers as well, but I'm a sports fan. And being a sports fan, I look at the scoreboard. So don't judge the Catholic Church by our sinners, me included, but judge us by our saints and the greatest people who have ever lived the face of this earth in the last 2,000 years. Everything beautiful, everything great about this culture and the society about Western civilization came from the Catholic Church. It came from us and our team. So come and join our team. And Catholics, we know what we need to do on an everyday basis to say yes to Jesus while we still have the time. We got to go to confession at least three times every year, every Lent, every Advent. And anytime you're in a state of mortal sin, don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. God bless. We'll chat with you very soon.